Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going okay. How are you? Is how it's going apparently. (laughs) How are you doing this week? I am doing okay. We are recording early this week, early than we normally would. Mm -hmm. So there will be uh, an episode of Drag Race sitting on my DVR when we're done. And it's going to be too late for me to watch it when we're done. But but I'm probably still going to watch it. When we're done. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you want to avoid the spoilers. Yeah. Well, there's that, and also, I self control is not always the easiest thing. Um, but I'm very excited about that. But I'm also super excited because tomorrow I'm going to the Sensate finale premiere, and it's very exciting. They're gonna screen the Sensate finale at the Music Box downtown in Chicago. So by the time y'all hear this, that already happened, and I'm sure it was fabulous. Um, it's gonna. I'm assuming it's gonna be a super a lot of fun, but I'll talk about that in the next episode. I would imagine um, this episode we're gonna we're keeping things just a week in TV. There were a lot of interesting episodes of TV, but a lot of them were like penul- penultimate episodes. So we're gonna wait and talk about those shows with their finales next week. Um, I watched the Killing Eve finale with friend of the show Elson Shoemaker, and I gotta say I have some thoughts. Uh, I'm very curious what you're gonna think. And mm-hmm. we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. Okay. So tease that out there. Uh, let's should, just... should we just devote the entire episode to the special segment and Killing Eve next week? Is that, I... I feel like that's all we really probably should talk about. Uh, on Maybe. I don't know. Uh, okay. Allison and I had very different reactions. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, that's all I'll say. And, and talking with her was was good for for me and it gave you some context or different perspectives to think about stuff so um it tempered my reaction a little bit i think we both have very strong reactions so anyways more on that next week that's why we're not talking about killing eve this week guys and some other things but um at the top of the show here we we need to talk about a few news things so shall we start with the happy or with the bullshit or with the um scrubbing uh sanitizing power of sunlight i think we should do like a criticism sandwich so we do something bad and then something good and then something bad okay so let's that's the inverse of how that's supposed to work but we don't have two good things (laughs) we don't have two good things now (laughs) let's start with morgan freeman um being uh, outed as a piece of crap um serial harasser on the sets of movies that he worked on uh cnn did a multi-month like a long-term investigation on morgan freeman after apparently hearing you know scuttlebutt and so they were calling up like i saw on twitter somebody said that they knew somebody who didn't actually work on a morgan freeman movie but there was a mistake on imdb and that friend has gotten called about this to see if they had any stories about anything like Several months ago, and it just broke today. So, like, there's, yeah, there are apparently many more of these we should expect to start, like, to to 
just kind of get out there over time. But the story was that there were eight different people who had allegations of misconduct of Morgan Freeman uh, on various film sets. Apparently, like most of these seem like they were pretty re- like more recent. But um, mm-hmm. then there were also eight other people that reached out who uh, were willing to go on record anonymously, but on the record as um, supporting what these eight people said and like had having been to- like they told their friend, they told their their uh, partner or their family member or whatever that kind of thing. so corroborated. So we have eight witnesses and eight corroborating witnesses. Um, so uh, that's way more than enough for me. So screw you, Morgan Freeman is where I'm at, I'm at with it. Uh, any thoughts? When I heard about this, my immediate thought was, I feel like I already knew this. and I wasn't I surprised. <laughs> right. It, it's one of those things where I feel like this was something that was had been circulating for a little while. In ter- on, or it was like in tabloid accusation sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was just sort of ingrained in my head somehow. And so when this news broke, I just kind of went, yeah, no, I feel like I knew that. And then I also went, or maybe I'm just expecting it at this point yeah. of everyone. Um, I'm expecting it to happen to me, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and I don't... So it was really weird because I was just like... I, I, again, I felt like I knew, but I also felt like it's potentially a result of how, many, how much of this is happening and coming out. That is just like... I'm retroactively implanting memories. I'm incepting my brain mm-hmm. and trying to like have that. But yeah, so yeah, I'm I was not surprised. He either. Yeah, he's been given out um sort of a creepy slash dirty old man vibe, like for a while in some of his stuff. Like just like Yeah. Just vibe wise. So that's why I wasn't super surprised. Like if you had said that like if like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I would have been, like, shocked, right? Because of how the mm-hmm. the PR machine or just, like, the our, my awareness of him, you know, was very different. Um, and even just, like, the kinds of roles and, and that kind of stuff. Just, let's just say I had a different relationship with Morgan Freeman five, ten years ago than, than I do now. But uh, he's a very talented actor who is apparently very gross and inappropriate and not the kind of person you want to be working with on the set. So uh, very glad that the Me, Me Too train keeps rolling on and more people keep getting out of for their bad behavior because that is exactly what should be happening. Um, in the Now, the delicious nougat center of our, <laughs> our sandwich here is the news. Uh, now, there was other casting news for this, but HBO is adapting Watchmen and... Loose adapting. Loose adapting. Based on like, Lindelof's very long letter that he posted. Yeah, it's not a one-for-one adaptation. It's, like, set in the world. Anyway, so air quotes adapting Watchmen. And a bunch of casting came out for it this week. But the one that I care about is that Regina King is going to be in it. And I'm so excited. Yeah, I've I've wished this made me more excited about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been excited about them adapting Watchmen, and well, a lot of what Lindelof's letter was with that loose adaptation inspired by set in the universe type of thing makes me slightly more interested. And Regina King's casting also makes me slightly more interested. It's still not enough to get me over the hump of I really want to spend more time in this world because I really don't. <laughs> um, so. 
I'm very glad she's going to be getting HBO money is kind of how I feel about it. Ah, but she was so good on Leftovers with Lindelof. So I feel like this is another X. I look forward to seeing what they do together on this project. Yeah, sure. So we'll see. So I'm more excited about this one than you are. Was there any of the other casting for this that was more interesting? Or is it, again, we we love Regina King? It's pretty much we love Regina King because that I, that was the only person that stood out to me. I, I admittedly did not like really interrogate who else got casted. Mm-hmm. Um, I just saw her name in a bunch of the headlines and went, oh, that's nice. Yay. Yay for Regina King. Also yay for Jessica Walters, national treasure mm-hmm. Jessica Walters, and a big hearty fun- you to the men of Arrested Development asterisk Michael Sarah wasn't there so the other men and is probably very grateful he was not yes there. the other men of Arrested <laughs> Development so uh, the, the the fifth season of Arrested Development is dropping um, this coming week and so they've been the cast has been you know doing interviews and such for it and New York Times interviewed them together and uh, it, as they put in their headlines, things got real. What that means is when asked about the abuse that uh, – I like how they're saying Jessica Walters claiming that she was verbally uh, assaulted and abused on set, like, by Tambor. No, Tambor said that he did this. Like, there's not a claim. Yes. This happened. Um, anyway, so J- uh, Jeffrey Tambor, uh, who is – has been accused of sexual misconduct and like really inappropriate behavior and um like sexual assaults uh for, while working on the set of Transparent which is why he's not welcome back there he's also been uh accused and admitted to verbally harassing and, and assaulting people on that set he he did this to Jessica Walters the the harassment not the sexual assault um on the set of arrested development this came up in the conversation i believe tampor like kind of brought it up um it was after they were asked about the transparent stuff right yeah no i mean it's all part of his like public perception image rehabilitation thing that he's engaged in that the hollywood reporter was more than happy to help with yeah um anyway so this came up in the conversation with the new york times and uh the people who were there were the male cast except for Michael Sarah of the show, and Jessica Walters and Alia Shawkat. And the men proceeded to talk about how it wasn't that big a deal and how all this is like a family and all families fight. And, and really, and what's important is context. While Jessica Walters is so upset, she's crying. And they're go- bending over backwards to talk about how it's really not that big a deal and this is, happens on all sets and, like... I think like there's even Justin Bateman particularly comes off poorly. There's like like this thing of him saying, "Well, what you have to understand in this business, like, dude, check yourself. Jessica Walters was rocking it in this business before you were even born. So yeah, don't tell Jessica Walters what really happens on sets. That's a bunch of bullshit." Alia Shawkat was standing up for Jessica Walters, but the rest of her male ca- the male cast members and castmates threw her under the bus and were much more interested in supporting Jeffrey Tambor, the person who who gave her the worst verbal assault and harassment of any set she's ever been in in, in like 60 years. Um, so, again, a big hearty fuck you to every single one of them 
go listen. I I really encourage any of our listeners to go seek out the interview, read a transcript, listen to the tape, um, and then you can yeah, go read. Tape. You can go read Bateman's apology to her, his tweets, and uh, then again, tell him to go fuck his image. Uh, you know, ad- adjustment that he was attempting when he realized how poorly he came across. Um, but yeah, it's just it's gaslighting and it's it's obvious. You know what. This again, this is an interview with the New York Times. This could not be more public. If this is how they're treating their castmates, they're, uh, you know, by all accounts, fabulous, wonderful to work with, great people, castmates in public. What are they treating them like in, in you know, behind closed doors? It, I was incensed. Like, I, I saw red a little bit when I was when I was reading and listening to this. As well, you should have. I mean, it's sort of ridiculous, especially when Walters goes through a discussion of, well, I have to let this go. And um, Tambor's just like, absolutely. And it's just like, fuck you, absolutely. A, no, she doesn't. And B, no, she shouldn't. And C, no, fuck you, absolutely. <laughs> you don't need for, you don't deserve forgiveness for this kind of behavior. And so, yeah, it's just really terrible. The um, The other thing about this is, man, I really wanted to be a fly in the wall when David Cross got home that day. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, David Cross is married to Amber Tamblin, who is a, one of the the leaders in the the uh, like Hollywood kind of acting portion of uh, Time's Up and an outspoken feminist. Yeah. And anyone who is surprised by this, by, you know, his actions or his words and his inaction in coming to Walter's defense um, could be reminded of the his his uh, behavior towards Charlene Yi um, and raises comments to hers and then attempts again to say it didn't happen or to to pretend it wasn't really a thing and again just convince these people who have experienced this kind of verbal harassment that it didn't really happen and if it did happen then that's normal and if it and if and if it's even if it's not normal, that's how family interacts and isn't what what's more important, the art and that we're making great art and, you know, can't we just forgive? Except you're not making great art because no one liked Arrested Development season four. But even if it was, <laughs> even if it is great art, it doesn't matter. No one needs to be right. like, like, it's like this is how all families act. Like, what's wrong with your family? My family doesn't do this. That's not what a family's like, and it's certainly not the fuck what a workplace should be like. I don't care how many hours you spend together. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, it's a bunch of bullshit. And um, <laughs> I just, again, next time, the next time I see one of these, me too's gone too far. Things I'm just gonna like have this ready to go so I can pull it up as an example of like this is a low scale level of of uh misbehavior um by a person who immediately got fired got fired from one set for his uh for his sexual uh harassment and assault of of coworkers and then he got shepherded right over to another high prestige high profile money making uh gig that he didn't get fired from and uh did this again so like Okay, let's, yeah, tell me again how this is hurting too many people, damaging their poor precious egos, making them responsible, having to be responsible or deal with reaction and criticism to their behavior. 
I could continue. We all know I could continue, but I really don't need to. Let's move on to happier things and uh, take a break. And yeah, let's let's tease our third segment, which is a very happy, our second segment, which is a very happy, very happy. Oh, gosh. Two weeks in a row now. Thank you, Noel. Well, just because it's not happy. It's it's really well made and it's fabulous to talk about and it's gorgeous and there's there's so much to break down but we're talking about the terror season one and specific like we spend more time on the finale but just looking at season one of the terror overall in our in our end of show segment um that was super fun mm-hmm. <sighs> man yeah it's a very good discussion but oh man that show it's a it shows rough <laughs> it's intense it's it's a lot yep um so that's coming at the end of the show but now let's listen to a little music and come back with our week in tv TV. We're going to talk a bit about the Brooklyn Nine-Nine finale, Jake and Amy. Then Noel's going to talk about the middle finale, A Heck of a Ride, Parts 1 and 2. I'm going to talk a bit about Tignataro's Happy to Be Here on Netflix and Fahrenheit 451 on HBO, as well as just a few thoughts about the conclusion of PBS's uh, uh, Little Women adaptation. Then we'll round things out with the finales of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The End, and The Flash. We are The Flash. So first up is the finale, uh, season finale of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Thankfully, season finale i wrote this up over and the season like i look at the season as a whole over at consequence of sound this week you can check out my thoughts on the season there um but let's start out with this episode uh noel how did you feel like they did with jake and amy did they pay off like the kind of season of hype for this wedding i don't know that it paid off the season of, of hype but i was i was still really happy with it um i liked how it ended um i liked that um Teddy came back for really just one last little hurrah um, because that performance is so good and that character is really delightful. Then I've been rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine a little bit and I forgot that Teddy was introduced in like season one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so it wasn't as sort of like, I I think that their wedding planning stuff got like backburnered a little bit, at least for my taste. Um, but I still liked a number of things that happened over the course of this episode. Um, and the whole bomb scare and, um, how that functioned and that they got to work like one last case together as non-married people. I thought it was nice. Um, so, and the resolution to it is overall, I think it's very sweet. It's very good. It's exactly what it needed to be for this show. Um, the only thing I'm sad about is that we didn't get to see Cheddar Prance more. 
<laughs> I'm always in, I'm always down for chitter prancing. Um, yeah, I was glad that this was not the series finale, if yeah. only uh, because of the cliffhanger, but also because sure. um, it just it wasn't that funny. It yeah. was really warm and it was really f- like nice and it uh-huh. matched the relationship of like really all the characters and but Jake and Amy specifically really nicely like I, you know there's the Nakatomi Plaza cake was all, of all of all frosting by the way yeah. was <laughs> delightful and you know there was a lot of these little fun touches but it wasn't actually that funny it was just kind of just kind of warm and nice um yeah. also the other main reason i needed this to not be a series finale is that i need i need stephanie beatrice and gina rodriguez to get so much more screen time they were terrific together in the like two scenes they got and i so i kept expecting like a third act return of that character yeah i and did it, too and then it didn't happen i was like if this had been it i would have felt so robbed no, I would have felt really robbed too. Um, mainly because the introduction for um Alicia, it's Alicia, Alicia right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Is really great. I love the uh uh beat drop from I'm gonna sex you up mm-hmm. um coming in as she's getting out of the car and it's just like she's in like a purple hoodie and just like uh sweats basically, I feel like her decent jeans. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's so good and the reaction from Stephanie Beatrice is just like perfect. Hair toss, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's all it's all very good, and it's all very silly, and I like that it's juxtaposed against like Terry's franticness about getting the veil. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's so it's just very funny, and I'm just like I'm very glad that they're just like well, since we've been picked up, that door is very open, and we're going to try to make sure that this works out. Um, and hopefully they can, given the fact that Jane the Virgin's schedule is probably a little. Uh, different this time around Mm -hmm. um so fingers crossed basically (laughs) yeah i will say that um you know in in writing up the season for consequence of sound the the post the way that their approach to like season-long reviews is like you talk about the the best episode of the season the worst episode of the season um some other like trends or things that you noticed in the season that kind of stuff and so i was looking Mm -hmm. over the season as a whole this was a really consistent season of brooklyn i had a hard time coming up with the worst episode it was like which one did i least remember basically yeah and but it was a really consistent and really funny strong fifth season of the show because of course we had all the prison stuff we had um the great stuff with with rosa coming out as bi to her squad mates but also to her family we had the ridiculousness of jake and amy's fathers (laughs) meeting each other like there was a lot of really good stuff this season uh right the arm wrestling (laughs) um but yeah, so it was. It's been a really terrific season. And it's one that, like, again, we talked about it. Sometimes we talked about it more this year than we usually do. I think, but mm-hmm. um, but it's one of those shows that it's just consistent. So a lot of times you're like, yeah, it was funny, but unless they did something different, like with their active shooter episode, like with the box, which was so terrific, um, we usually don't talk about it week in week out because there's not much more to say than yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, but it was real funny this season. So I'm I'm glad, so glad that it got picked up, and I, I hope it gets more attention. I like my my parents like just started watching Brooklyn Nine Nine. I finally got them to sit down, and they love it. So you know they'll probably be watching. They'll be caught up in watching seasons. Uh, six live this fall um but I, I so i hope other people with the buzz around it online are finally sitting down and checking out brooklyn 99 
Are they dropping it in the fall with their 13 or are they saving it for midseason? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Yeah, because I know that they're only getting 13. So, mm-hmm. well, we'll see. I wasn't sure. I, yeah, I missed. I didn't know if NBC had dropped its schedule or not yet. I didn't pay any attention to upfronts. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I still don't know about Timeless. I don't know if they've, I don't think they've announced Timeless yet. So yeah. I imagine when they finalize their schedule, we'll hear about that too. Uh, but another show that had its finale, and in for, unfortunately for its fans, a series finale was The Middle, a heck of a ride. How did uh, this two parter? Like end the 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 journey of of the middle. I really really liked this finale a great deal. Um, a lot of it was very much in the middle's wheelhouse of being really sweet um, and lightly funny um, in a lot of places. Uh, there were also just a real real number of I don't not callbacks, but just it really reaffirmed that why the Hex have sort of endured for nine seasons in a very tumultuous um, television landscape, both um, from shows just kind of getting pushed off the air to dealing with the fact that they are not a sitcom that's produced by ABC television studios. So that they've survived as long as they have, um, I think really speaks to the fact of that this show is probably making enough money within syndication and streaming rights that it offset basically any licensing stuff that abc was paying um and it also survived uh the actor playing axel basically going doing like a whole pilot season of stuff and then whether or not the show was coming back because abc kept kind of renewing it later and later as it progressed but the finale is just the finale does two things really, really well. Is that the first half really reaffirms the Hex as a family unit in terms of these are our bonds type of thing. Because so much of that finale is centered around um, Frankie trying to convince Axel not to take a job in Denver. And then the second half takes place almost entirely in a car. And I've mentioned before um, a couple of times that whenever the middle does scenes in a car or episodes in a car, it's always really good. And the producers and writers sort of discussed this in the lead up is that if we were going to do something in the car, we had to, we, we, uh, we had to do something in the car basically, because that's sort of become our thing. And it's really delightful because a lot of it gets set up at the tail end of the first one with the three kids basically arguing who has to sit in, sit in the middle of the car. Mm-hmm. And there's this really nice discussion about how having the three of them as kids really sort of helped them. So like Sue got to be a big sister and a little sister. Axel got to be a big brother to two people. And Brooke got to have all of that kind of experience, both being able to sort of find himself amongst the shadows of both of these other siblings, but also that he had two other siblings that legitimately cared about him, even if they didn't always demonstrate it. And so there's this back and forth about like the value of being in the middle isn't that bad. And it becomes like a larger statement about the actual thing of the show about how the community uh, community being the neighborhood that the Hex live in coming out to wish Axel farewell, which is a nice way to give a farewell to a number of recurring characters, including God bless her weird Ashley. It would not have been completed had weird Ashley not shown up to sp- sp- just blow dust into Axel's face. Um, 
and just all this really f- nice stuff and like sue's best friend brad showed up and then they did like a f- spring forward a little bit so that we got to see where all the kids were at the end of not at the end of their lives but like in the middle of their lives and it was just very it was very sweet and it really reaffirmed like a lot of the yeah they may fight they may argue they may seem to not like each other but to our earlier discussion about arrested development this idea that this comes from a place of love and support and this is what family is type of thing and the only other thing i'll say as i wind this discussion this little monologue down is that this is far more than other sitcoms that are being billed as middle class working class family sort of sitcoms that have come back from the dead despite the fact that they are neither of those things Mm -hmm. i'm talking about last man standing (laughs) which Um, is like again that sub super text (laughs) yeah no i'm just gonna make that super text because that is not a middle class family on that show he owns a whole chain of sporting goods stores that are very successful that is not a middle class show his house is way too nice Mm -hmm. the hex have a hole in their wall that they haven't repaired for two seasons (laughs) um that they mind for a great deal of comedy but this is a show that there's a regular discussion about making ends meet there's a regular discussion about how they go to the frugal Hoosier, Hoosier, which is their grocery, their grocery store, and they are miser status members of the rewards club. <laughs> and they use that as a way to get slightly better packing boxes for Axel's stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of thing that rings really true, I think, within this kind of a community, within this kind of a economic framework that they're they're always trying to make ends meet um economic stuff of like i'll make you any i'll make you anything you want from the freezer you can have frozen eggs or you can have frozen waffles which one do you want and that kind of a thing is just it's really sweet and it's very grounded in something that feels legitimately lived in and i think that's something that we're losing with the middle going away um even before a lot of other abc comedies it's sort of been developed within this identity sort of perspective driven comedy, which has been what has been really successful for ABC, at least especially between like you and I, but among other folks who actively engage in discussions about television, the middle did this in a way that carried a lot of um, what are, what arguably like Roseanne, but also other working class sitcoms started, but really did a nice job of transitioning into a long generational sort of discussion. Um, with kids going to college, with new jobs, with promotions, with healthcare, um, with social issues. Um, it's just been really great and it's been really, really good. And I'm sad to see it go, but it felt, it legitimately felt like a good time for the show to go given where a lot of its characters were as well. So I'm going to miss it a great deal, but this was a really good send off for the show. But yeah, I've heard nothing but praise for this episode. And I, you mentioned, you know, they, then they all get in the car and I've like seen maybe one episode of the middle ever, maybe. And even mm-hmm. I know like, yep, that's the middle, right? That, but they, yeah. even I know that they're, they're known for their car scenes. Like it's like seeing ads and stuff for them. They nail those car scenes. They're Give so my good. Own. They're so good. Yeah. Do you have a lot of car trip experience? Like, you know, 
hours in the car together with a family experience? I don't know. Um, my family's fr- fr- pretty fractured, but I know you do. Yeah. And they nail it. <laughs> no, I mean, even in this episode, like Frankie gets a text alert from their, um, their cell phone carrier and it's just like, you've used up 90% of your data. Mm. So there's this whole discussion in the backseat about who needs to turn off their phone so that they can either keep watching whatever it is they're watching. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm talking about when they've like made a transition of generational sort of middle class discussions about stretching an economy and this kind of a thing. And the, it's a perfect encapsulation of that. Yeah. No, I plus a whole get off your phones because there's this whole world outside and it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's fields of corn, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Look, it's a cow. Yeah, and well, they say that. That's cow. a whole joke. That's a whole joke. It's just like <laughs> cow, horse, oh, another cow. That's that's a whole joke that they runs, and it's just this. Sh- it's very good. It's yeah. very good. I look forward to eventually catching up with the middle. I'm sure at some point I will. I'll dive in, and I, I have a feeling it'll be a very welcome uh, addition to the the sitcoms that I just have missed ten years of. But I'm glad that it went out with such a strong finale. Um, yeah, that's that's, you know, that's what you always want to see, like a show that that has. It's a small but a very loyal fan base, and has been around for nine seasons. It's what you hope that they that any sitcom can go out with a particularly strong episode that really does justice to the run. So I look forward to catching up with it at some point. Uh, I I really enjoyed catching up with this week the new special comedy special from Tignataro, Happy to Be Here, which is on Netflix. And oh, no, it's so good. Is it? I'm really excited. I wanted to watch it before we recorded, but I didn't have an opportunity to. Yeah, no, it's delightful. Like anyone who likes one Mississippi, you will because it's it's her sense of humor, and yeah. like it it it's just kind of off and like she's just kind of messing with the audience. Like when we watched uh, Two Dope Queens, she directed those episodes, um, or at least the finale. And the end of the the end of the finale sees the the two Dope Queens leaving the show backstage. They're like leaving, and and Tignataro shows up like. Who are you? Why are you? You can't be here. You're not allowed to be backstage. What? And they're like, Tig, it's it's us. And you're like, and she just like, okay, whatever. You, you're not allowed to be here. You have to. And at the very end of the hallway, she like smiles and waves. At the, like it's that kind of like super deadpan mm-hmm. and like just deadpan, deadpan, messing with the like playing it straight and then just a little bit of a wink and smile at the end um and that's what so much of her comedy is at least the stuff of it that of hers that i've seen and it's like she there's a thing with like she's making little cat hands it's adorable there's there's some really cute stories about her and stephanie um who's of course her wife and their their baby twin uh boys um there's a lot there's so there's it's just it's a very joyful and warm special and still so appropriately dry and funny like i i didn't realize because i I was less familiar with tig's stuff Uh, we're on a first name basis no uh (laughs) with nataro's work before one mississippi i didn't realize how specifically her voice that show is and mm-hmm. um, so it was it was lovely to see that here. And also we should mention, by the way, for those who somehow missed this, Ting Nataro and Jennifer Aniston are playing a married couple who who happened to be the first lady and the and a madam president 
uh, in a movie. I have questions about why Tig's not president in that. <laughs> because Jennifer Aniston is more famous, but this is coming from Notaro and from Stephanie Allen. Uh, so I'm really excited for it. Uh, whenever that drops, that's super awesome. But until then, go check out Happy to Be Here if you, if you like her sense of humor. And if you're just looking for another comedy special after Mulaney's one, which was so well received, check this one out as well. It's very, it's a small club. It's pretty intimate. Um, she directed the, the, the episode or the, the special. Oh as well cool that's nice yeah and at the end there may or may not be a guest appearance by the indigo girls it's a whole thing all right anyways it's delightful go check it out then i also watched this week the new adaptation of fahrenheit 451 which aired uh on on hbo last saturday and i thought i i was super on board with it until about the last half hour and that there's some um some changes to uh to the book um which i think it i I was i was super on board with anything all the different things they had changed like for example they're burning hard drives and servers more often than books you know there's there's a lot of digital like uploading of books and all that stuff there's gotta get that project gutenberg man (laughs) yeah exactly there's a uh strong uh like insta and twitter and live stream with emoticons kind of a flair to the visuals there's okay. there's so there's some significant changes to the book but most of, i was on board with pretty much all of it until the very end it felt like they were trying to like rate hype things up or just like go bigger and more extreme with them or just like like they didn't trust it to be enough um and i don't think it needed that the ending didn't work as well for me but most of it worked really gangbusters and that's because you have michael b jordan as Guy Montag, and you have Michael Shannon as the, I can't remember, his boss. Uh, And either one of them are amazing, and they're great together. So most of the the movie is one or both of them in a scene. And a lot of it is one of them by themselves. And it will surprise no one that they're really good. Yeah. Um, it's directed by Ramin Brani and uh, ad- adapted by him as well, I believe. And he does a terrific job and for most of it. Again, like I said, I didn't love the ending. But visually, it's really effective. And I I, you know, I just I thought it was great until the ending. So yeah, it was like my intro. I was like, I started looking up reviews um, or just like kind of like, like, why isn't anybody talking about this? You know, and I was like, oh, and then as, as almost as soon as I did that, my interest started to wane in the last half hour. Um, So so, yeah, I strong endorsement. If you're curious about an adaptation of the classic novel, uh, strong recommendation just for Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon. If you're a fan of either of their works, if you're on the fence, uh, they don't quite stick the landing. But if you have some extra time, it's an, there's some interesting choices to it. Um, so, yeah, you, there's definitely worse ways. You can spend an hour and 45 minutes, by the way. Not even two full nice. hours. Well done. Uh, speaking of two full hours, I did watch ah. the, the end of Little Women, episodes two and three. And I love how – okay, so I most of my issues from the first episode that we were talking about – were allayed in this. Okay. The, the characters good. get, you know, start aging up. I actually think that they did a better job of making Amy seem young, like look and seem younger in the second episode of this than they did in the first, which is okay. very strange. But some of like the costuming and hair choices, you know, like they get put her in some like braids and things that like really make her look even younger. Um, 
so that really was helped out. Um, and yeah, they're just, you know, like I was watching this going like, yeah, this is good. And Emily Watson is amazing. And, uh, they give Dylan Baker more to do. He gets, he's more, obviously he shows back up. So he gets more to do in this second one. Uh, yeah. And there were some things of it that still were, I wasn't as engaged by, but like, I'm just watching this going like, like almost ready to sob, you know, knowing what's going to happen and everything. It's like Beth gets scarlet fever. Because she's helping no, people and just trying to, you know, like, and it's a whole, th- and I'm just sitting here just, like, watching it on the verge of tears for, like, two hours going, like, it's really good. It's not great. It's just, like, it's such a good story. <laughs> so I thought it was entertaining that I was both, like, still not completely won over or engaging with it, but also, like, this close, Noel, to just losing it at any particular moment be like... These characters are great, and I love my family. You know, just like it's it, it hits you in the feels, as it were. Mm-hmm. So for me, the second and third episode worked. Uh, I think quite a bit better than the first episode. Also, I think it helped that just I didn't have the same expectations going in that I did with the first one after hearing such almost universal praise for for it for this adaptation. So that, I'm sure that helped as well. But uh, I, I'm glad that I did watch the end. But this is not one that I would say people need to run out or rush out and go see. Um, but if you do like Little Women, seek it out because, I, you know, it, it's like any of those classic uh, literary characters. You, it'll be interesting to see a different take or a new, a different, you know, writer, director, actor's take on these really famous characters and, and mm-hmm. you know, which aspects of them uh, come to the fore with these different interpretations. So, uh, yeah, I like that they, the ending I thought was, was particularly nice. Of course they have more time than the, the nineties movie. So they get to have a different ending, which is, you know, more in keeping with the book. Uh, as I, at least as I recall, it's been a long time since I read that book. So maybe I should read it again, learn the lessons of Fahrenheit 451 and go reread that one too. But, while I ponder my uh, dwindling stack of to be reds, not because I'm reading them, but because I've not been adding to them, uh, let's go over <laughs> to Agents of Shield and its finale, the end, which we now know is not the end. It's coming back mid season after the next Avengers movie. Uh, what did you think of the end? I thought it was fine. Um, I think it's probably one of the stronger episodes that they've done recently. This. Um... Second arc has been a little spotty, um, which hasn't been great. Um, I do think that this show between seasons four and season five has properly demonstrated the value of doing small arcs. Um, And while their decision to basically split season five in half was more so dictated by when the episodes were going to air... um, they still sort of struggled with that. Um, but just speaking about the finale, I thought it was, yeah, it was it was good. I enjoyed sort of how things sort of shook out in terms of how they dealt with Talbot. Um, though I was hoping for more of a superhero, like superpower fight. Like they so rarely get to like let loose with that kind of stuff that I really wanted them to let loose. And I get that they can't because there's a lot of things to service. But I was really hoping for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, Graviton is a deeply, deeply powerful character. And it's very hard to do that fight with one person very well. Um, So they made the correct choice overall. I just wanted more of it because I always want more. (laughs) Um, But 
a lot of like where it ends i think specifically um i appreciate that they wrote with basically a series finale in mind that it ends with colson and may basically retiring um and with mac apparently in charge which is a good decision but also the fact that mac is just too good for these people (laughs) (laughs) he deserves so much better and so much more happiness than dealing with these yahoos all the time um but also if anyone can really kind of rebuild rebuild shield into this concept of what it's supposed to be it's probably mac um so that was good um I'll be curious to know your thoughts about Fitz's death. Well, death. Air quotes. Yeah. Air quotes within this particular timeline before they go scouring for him across time, um, which I think is the implication that I got from that. Wasn't entirely clear on it because Mm -hmm. they're sort of subtle about how they're weaving that in. Um, But I found it pretty emotional and I liked that Mac was present for it um, since that friendship has been really core to both of those two characters for a very long time. Um, Though, and I appreciated that there was an amount of follow through between the whole, we promised we would never separate ever again. And then they separate and he dies. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. you nimrods. (laughs) So overall, I'm pretty happy with it. I have questions about like if May and Coulson are going to come back next season. And if I want them to come back next season, I don't feel like the show works without Coulson. And I like Ming-Na just so much that even after like basically five seasons, uh, especially in Ming-Na's case of playing the same character um without with minimal amounts of change that that character is still really interesting and really compelling it speaks volumes about her abilities as opposed to necessarily what the the heavy lifting the writers are doing but i i'm still really eager to see what they're going to do in an episode that basically just went yeah infinity war is happening in the background but then nothing that happens in this episode acknowledges that infinity war happened which I find really compelling, and I kept waiting for whatever what happened at the end of Infinity War to happen here to some extent. Mm-hmm. And then that decision to avoid that, I just went, you know what? I'm okay with that. That was a good choice you guys made by not doing that. Yeah. And so I'm eager to see what they do when they come back next summer. But yeah, so I've been talking for like five minutes at this point. How did you feel about it? Um, was there anything in particular that stood out to you? Are you going to come back for a season six or are you probably kind of done? Well, I mean, let's be honest. I wasn't going to come back for season five and then I did. So probably I'm going to be back for season six. Um, yeah. The, yeah, I, I read the Colson May thing differently than you did because okay. I read it as Colson's going off to die and they expect him to die in a week, maybe, probably less. And then May's probably coming back. <laughs> That's what I assume. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so I look forward to seeing what they, they do. They finally kissed. It was a good kiss. It, and with the shield and everything, he had his Captain yeah. America moment. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. The, the I agree that the show doesn't really work without Coulson. So I look forward to the hoops they jump to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and maybe it'll be something, some, you know, that they can explain away with Infinity War, like he disappeared, and then when he when he got brought back, he didn't have the yeah. the thing anymore or whatever. Who knows? But um, 
But yeah, the 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 fake out with Fitz was some dirty pool, but uh, but an excellent death scene. Ian DeCasper yeah. is of course terrific, so you give him that he's going to nail it every time. And yeah, I had to be kind of reminded as they were reminding us that no, there's a there's other Fitz who's cryogenically frozen waiting mm-hmm. to catch up with the timeline. You know, like that yeah. they can go pull out of stasis somewhere. Um, so the that I mean like he because they didn't jump to the future, right? He didn't ju- like. He- no, he does not jump to the future. He waits it out. Yeah, yeah. So he's out somewhere right now. So they shouldn't have to jump in time at all. They should be yeah. able to just find him, in yeah. theory. But then that screws up the timeline, doesn't it? Oh no! So much timey wimey stuff. And timey wimey is all they're gonna say. That's all that matters. Yeah. And <laughs> note, they very specifically don't show future grandson whose name I forget. Deke. Deke, right? Yeah, they they yeah. don't show Deke afterwards. They set that up so that they cannot show him and have us not wonder about it. Um, yeah. So I, I assume he'll be back next season, but they'll play it like a, and then they'll show him, mm-hmm. and then we'll go yay. Um, so we can refer for he and uh, uh, Daisy. Daisy, thank you. I wanted to say Chloe Bennett uh, to to get together as our you know last eh, season will they won't sure. they? Why not? You know. I'm yeah. fine with it. I like he's way more interesting and fun than Lincoln was. Ugh. Oh God, yes he is. And when they mentioned Lincoln and he said, "Who's Lincoln?" I just went, like, "That is the correct response." That, Deke. yeah, <laughs> good, good. Uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, I think that they have glazed over way too quickly the various betrayals this season. Um, yes, especially with Fitz. But also with Yo-Yo. I mean, like, when they're like, Mac's going to be in charge. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That's fitting. Wait a second. Like, an episode ago, they they locked him in a cell so they could countermand his orders. Why do you yeah. think that this is going to work now? <laughs> we promise It's not, because he's too good for them. All your commands. <laughs> even the ones we don't like. Even though we've already shown that we aren't willing to do that. Um. So, But I do think the tension... Like, I really like the performance from the actor who plays Yo-Yo. Like... The, the tension that we got in the team was really, I think, really well earned from the future stuff that she experienced that no one else did. And uh, mm-hmm. the desperation in her performance um, was very powerful and had me on, on Team Yo-Yo. Uh, even though, like, I'm with Mac, you know, I'm on Team Mac, but, like, be, I thought that they really earned that part of it, that part of this half of the season. Uh, the stuff with... Adrian Pastor, like we said a couple weeks ago, he's gonna he's also gonna sell whatever you give him. Uh, I think that there was too much from Colson of trying to see the good in and save and all of that. Like, no, he's gone. Like, he clearly was nuts. You know, like he he had he had gone through too much trauma, and it was too powerful for them to be able to just like reason with. And I thought yeah. it was, I thought it was unreasonable and out of character for the, some of the characters to be treating him the way they were. I also thought the writing wasn't great when they wanted him to kind of be going back and forth between Graviton and um, the general Talbot. Talbot thank you. General, general Talbot. Um, and that, that before he started crushing people, you know, um, that that was just a little, you know, it wasn't great. So so overall, I mean, I still like it way better than something like the the Ghost Rider arc. Uh, I, I think mm-hmm. that the 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 strong stuff in both the first half and the second half of the season was pretty darn good and really fun. And like the kind of 
uh, engaging but disposable TV that I really look for sometimes. Yeah. Um, like I, like I, I watch elementary so quick off of my DVR and I, like last week I was looking for, for something like a procedural that I could watch like one episode of that would be, that would be interesting and clever enough and have good performances and, and, and strong actors and strong chemistry and rapport. And there's just like, there isn't that on TV right now. It's really frustrating, <laughs> Um, cause I was like, well, I could try to watch that magician show. Oh, there's voiceover. There's pretentious voiceover. I can't do it. It's like, well, I could try to watch that Alan Cummings show again. And no, it was just really bad. I couldn't do that one either. Um, so yeah, more, you know, more in this vein, I would appreciate. So we'll see what the next couple of seasons bring. But, um, I think it's easy to overlook what this show does well. And yeah. so so while it's not the best show, it's not the most memorable show, it's not the strongest superhero show or anything like that, what it does well, the action, the the camaraderie, the team dynamic, um, it does a very good job at. And that's not something that a lot of shows do well. So I absolutely appreciate it for those strengths. Yeah, I think that the core of the team, I think, is really important. Um, mm-hmm. The camaraderie is really the most important thing. Since, apart from Daisy, these are all just pretty typical people. They may be buffer, they may be smarter, but they're still, on the whole, just pretty semi-normal people who just have highly advanced skills. And that results in them dealing with a lot of random, crazy stuff mm-hmm. that they're not necessarily equipped for, especially now that they're not a well-funded Hydra government agency. (laughs) So I I think that making sure that the camaraderie, making sure that the cast and everyone feels really gelled and that they have unique perspectives on things goes a long way to making the show watchable. Yeah. And like the quips stepped right back up their game the, with the quips yeah. this season, and and I mean I think that's how we can transition over into Flash because that same team dynamic and camaraderie is a big part of when it's working. What's working so well about the Flash? And so let's talk about the Flash finale. We are the Flash. I think for me, it's very easy mm-hmm. to focus on all the things that are really stupid about this yes. finale. Yeah, there's it's a lot. Super of them. easy. Yeah, there's so, there's too many of them. <laughs> let's say the things it does well. The yeah. shower scene at the end, the party, super cute, very nice. Some of the stuff with Dibney, fun. I'm I'm fine with them bringing Dibney back. I actually totally bought into the tension with Celeste and what was, you know, is she going to be okay? That cause I was down with that stuff. And I liked that they didn't give us an answer for Killer Frost. Mm-hmm. Anything else good in this? I thought that the Harry stuff was really, really good. You're right. The Harry stuff was terrific. Yeah. I think it was easily like the strongest part of the episode. A, Kavanaugh's doing a really good job with the enlightened, Air enlightenment edited yeah. um, Harry in throughout this episode. But then the resolution of it of like, all right, we snapped, we snapped enough of his brain back to get him sort of back. And how that sort of provided a great deal of closure for that character through tapping into emotions. Because this was something that was very big when at the start of the season when uh, Jesse kicked him out of her. Yeah. Too, <laughs> that he was an asshole and like no one on her team wanted to deal with him anymore. So as muddled as this ended up being for a large stretch, that he found a heart basically of, I think it was... 
um, whomever re- reviewed it or reviews it over at um, TV Club rightfully said that he did not get the Scarecrow's brain, no. but he got the Tin Man's heart. And I thought that was a really good sort of explanation for what happened to Harry. And so his big goodbye to everyone with the big hug, I thought was really, really good and really touching. And they've already confirmed that Kavan- they're not playing coy with whether or not Kavanaugh is coming back this season for season five or not. He is. They've already had discussions about what kind of Harrison Wells he will play next season. But I like that this felt like a really good send off for Harry. And I really appreciated that. And I think that was the best part. And it made up for any number of sins, um, ridiculous sins that this episode has within it. Yeah. The, when he goes, like immediately goes, I need to leave. I have to go see my daughter. I was like, Oh, thank God. That never happens on this show. And it's insane. Like, like finally a show, one of these airboat shows has the characters remember, Oh, for example, I have a father who's still alive in Star City. Yeah, and Wally comes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or like any of like, oh my god, like that's that is the response that so many of these characters should have so often, and they never do. And that it was fab. And then he comes back, and they do the hug, and everything. Yeah, but that was like they nailed that. And then like, and also his Kavanaugh's performance of this, like, oh, I mean, obviously, I need to go see my daughter. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. That that isn't obvious. That should be obvious to all of you, <laughs> which is yeah. absolutely the right way to play that. So wholeheartedly agree. Um, okay, now let's talk about all the stupid shit. Um, right. Everything with Marlies. Yeah, I have I have huge problems with what happens with Marlies, especially because it's just like, was Joe not involved in this conversation of just letting her walk away from the fact of being an accomplice to like eight murders? So apparently many not. Yeah, <laughs> she could join Team like, Flash. I'm going to go back to using technology to help people, even though we never saw me regain confidence in technology. Ever. That didn't happen. (sighs) And it's because this character was really poorly developed, despite the actor's best efforts, Mm because, God, she tried so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was also one of those things where it's just like, had she not been a willing accomplice to multiple murders slash a dumbing down of the entire planet... I would have been like, you know what? She should join Team Flash as their new scientific advisor. That would be really cool for this show. But instead, she's just like, I'm too expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also, I have to go help other people. And she's like, no, you should be in prison. That is where you should be. I appreciate the fact that you kind of help save the world, but you should be in prison. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's just like and it's not even like kind of close it's not like they didn't like try to play oh well he was mind co- like mind controlling her with the drug so the, the right they she, just totally forgot that anyway so it doesn't matter yeah like they don't even bother with that as like a reason for why she wasn't in control of her actions as the plan escalated you know or and they don't even try and it's it's just it's a laziness with that it's like we can just it doesn't matter the audience isn't gonna think about it or notice it or care like they they'll just buy whatever we feed them and it was just that was just bad so like when she just shows up here i was like wait why is she helping why does she care all of a sudden about saving the world why like we never saw her change her mind about things. We never saw, like, when she left, she didn't say, you're wrong about this and I'm going to stop you. She just left. And all her big change of heart for one of our big villains of the season to become a last-ditch hero, which we've been saying all along was going to happen. It had to happen. Um, it, 
they just didn't even bother to show. It was it was very frustrating. Um, I will say I liked that it was not love that saved the day. That he had like to go like they. You think it's going to be like go to our favorite places and oh well. To be fair, love did save the day, just not theirs. Not their love. Yeah, like <laughs> no. It's like no, honey. He already killed any part of himself that loved you, and he did that a while ago. So, mm-hmm. um, I, so I, I like that subversion of expectations. How did you feel about the return of Dibney? Um, mixed in so far as. I appreciated that they sort of acknowledged that and by bringing him back that there was this acknowledgement that his death was a little cheap dramatically. Um, But their comic book logic way of justifying that was sort of amusing because I had legitimately forgotten that it was technically Dibney's body. (laughs) And um, so their way of justifying that... um, I thought that was a comic book way of bringing him back. So on the one hand, I really appreciate that. But it also goes to what you were just discussing of they'll buy anything we just put in front of them. And it's just like, guys, this is really stupid. Well, and like, Uh, don't give, don't look for two big asks in one episode. Right. You get at most one. Yeah. And instead it's, if you go to that portal, you can take over and it's just Wait, what? No, that doesn't make any fucking well, sense. Well, and also, one DeVoe is able to stop them, even at super speed, but a million DeVoes can't stop them at all. Just yeah. very, just runs, it's like, it's, oh god, it's so asinine. It's really, really stupid. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, let's see, anything else about this episode? Uh, how'd you like the stuff with the baby and with Celeste, and did that all work for you? Yeah, it was fine. Um, Celeste has been a really kind of stealth utility player for them this season. Yeah. And that actor in particular has been really, really good. Particularly Um, with uh, Harry, yeah. Yeah, she's been really delightful all season. And I appreciate that they've been giving her a little bit more to do, especially with the telepathy stuff. Like, And especially when she starts, like, a adopting other when she started adopting other people's personalities Mm -hmm. um that was deeply amusing like when she was channeling the pizza guy yeah (laughs) so funny za man yeah good za just like this is so good (laughs) so i liked that i mean it's always going to ratchet up the tension a little bit when there's um a pregnancy on the line kind of thing but it's it's like just present enough and i like that they integrated her into the action of the finale and a kind of a pa- admittedly sort of as a passive sort of way, but that her pregnancy was tied to a lot of this. I thought it all really, even if the overall arc of this season demonstrates what shield has already proven is that the flash really cannot sustain a single big bad for an entire season at all. The way that they integrated a number of various bits and pieces of this season, I think ended up working not well. So okay. But for Ended up working okay for the most part, but at least they made sure that pieces sort of all went together, even if they sometimes dropped them here or there. That they came together in this way, I think, at least demonstrated that they had a decent idea for what they were going to do this year, even if the execution ended up just being another slog. Yeah, and we—I mean—we have had issues about Dibney and the, you know, the underutilization of several of the other characters, most mm-hmm. notably Wally, who's found a 
very, very solid placeover on Legends. Um, Never ever come back to this show, Wally, unless it's <laughs> to do drop-ins like this. Your your much Legends better. gets you. Yeah, much better. Legends gets there. you. <laughs> um, so we've had issues with some of that stuff, but I do think the the shift in tone, the attempted shift in tone um, for this season as compared to last season was the right call. Keep it lighter. Keep it more energetic and fun um, with occasional darkness as you need it, but – when too much of the season is grounded in that, it, I just think we've seen it doesn't work as well. Are you excited about the potential buzziness and, and frothy energy that Nora may be bringing next season? Well, here's the thing. I'm not sure I'm going to come back next season. Ah. Um, I, I, I mentioned this to a friend of the show, Corey Barker, and he rightfully called me out. He was just like, you said that about Arrow, and then they cast Everson, and you watched half that season. <laughs> And he's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on basically who they stunt cast to lure me back in, um, I'll probably check out like the first couple episodes because I do like this ensemble as we sort of transition to because this is such a good gr- group of actors that have such an easy chemistry with one another that they make things very watchable even if the writing and the plotting is not there. Um, but... A lot of this, while, like you mentioned, like the shift in tone was really good um, for this season, but it's also just, they structurally just need to make some major adjustments to the show. And that is really, I think, is what's holding me back from really wanting to come back for a season five. So as much as I like the prospect of uh, Barry and Iris dealing with their flung from the future daughter i'm also just like oh more time travel stuff you guys don't do time travel stuff very well it's just all wibbly wobbly magic Mm -hmm. and it gets really frustrating to watch that um so i think the answer is we'll see if i'm willing to commit um but i may be done okay are you excited about like nora's presence and everything well, she's been super charming and adorable and a great combination of, like, she really feels like their daughter. Yes, she does feel like their daughter, which is really good on that actor's part, is, like, she very much feels like their daughter. <laughs> yeah, in a really fun way. Uh, so we'll see, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm gonna, who are we kidding? Of course I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna check it out, and it'll be, it, it'll probably be lower on my list of things that I watch in a given week, but it's gonna be on there, Um if only just because this is the show that I watch that my students watch. <laughs> there aren't oh, many. Oh, yeah, that's fair. You know, so yeah. that, that's a fun part of it, too. A uh, cultural touch point. Uh, seeing as the kids don't watch TV, they watch the YouTubes. Um, and but... the Vines. <laughs> oh, they did. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Vine. Um, but anyways, the point being, I will likely be back. Um, I won't, don't know how excited I'll be about it, but I'm certainly energized by that performance and what it could be. We'll see if they can, like, if it, they've just teased it, right? So more of her might not work. It might get too irritating. But the little doses have been good. The The other thing that I'm thinking the entire time that she's, like, revealing everything to them, I'm just like, your entire justification for riding off Wally was the fact that two speedsters was too expensive and too difficult for you guys to narratively justify. So naturally, your inclination is to bring another speedster in for season five. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. And not at all the fact that you just had no idea what to do with Wally. I feel 
like she's just going to be a, a gimmick for a couple episodes as opposed to a yeah. narrative through line for the whole season. That's what I would expect, at least. Mm-hmm. Like a couple episode arc and then she'll zoom back off into the future. They don't keep speedsters along for long on the, on the show unless they're an antagonist and they drag it out way too long. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to ch- tune back in and I can let you know if it's worth checking in. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, well, what wins your week in TV? Um, well, let's see here. Um, Bob's also had their finales. Uh, both of these episodes were really good. I liked the catering episode in particular. I thought that was very sweet. I kept waiting for the couple to be terrible and be like, oh, you were a guest at our wedding. So the food was your gift, right? Right. Yeah. I kept, and then it didn't happen. I was like, oh, yeah. I would have been watching this all wrong. <laughs> Uh, so I liked that um, as well, um, and I feel like we should talk just a little bit about Ducktales, um, which had their their Outlander golfing episode their without Outlander any crossover. Of, yeah, yeah, uh, but also their My Little Pony crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, both of the um, um, Silky Selkies Selkies, Selkies yeah. were voiced by um, Tara Strong and Andrea Lippman, I think is her name who voiced uh, Twilight Sparkle and Fluttershy, respectively, over on My Little Pony. And those characters on DuckTales were very clearly modeled on My Little Pony aesthetics. Um, <laughs> their failed attempts to lure people to their death was just delightful. Yeah, Webby pro- was particularly great. Right. I think that was probably the funniest thing I watched this week, was their inability to lure people and their frustrations. I think that was legitimately the funniest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'll give it to the middle finale. Um, which was just so heartwarming and sweet and a really good send off for a very good, solid, consistent across nine seasons sitcom. Uh, what about you? What won your weekend television this week? Well, those other two that you mentioned were, were a lot of fun. Um, I wanted to mention Last OG, which took a, like at the end of last week's episode, took a dramatic turn that, and I felt like, oh, that's the show I've been watching this whole time. I feel with, with all the comedy in there too, but like, I feel like I have a much better sense of what the show is after episode seven. Um, mm-hmm. th- this week though, they had like, what was ba- one scene, which was basically just an ad for Greenleaf and it was okay. <laughs> delightful. Um, as one of the, like, I don't know any other podcasts, um, where, where they are like regular weekly TV podcasts about multiple shows that are even aware mm-hmm. that Greenleaf exists besides us. So And we didn't even really discuss it last season. Yeah, yeah, we got behind, but still, like I was like, woohoo, Greenleaf shout out. So that was fun. And in on Legion, they okay, so Daniel has to go save the world and everything, so he ditches everybody, but at least this at least this time when he does it, after promising he wouldn't do that again, he leaves a note. So Sydney comes and finds him and just straight up just kicks him in the balls. Like just like parachutes down. Uh, lands right where he is and he's like well okay at least i left a note this time and she just walks up and kicks him in the balls i'm on your team it was hilarious and it was great um the rest of the episode was i was more mixed on but like that was just such a fabulous glorious moment that i had to give it a shout out here uh the terror finale was really good we're gonna talk about that in our last segment so i'm kind of not counting that one um Still really digging uh, White Snack's problem areas and Killing Eve was good. But, yeah, I feel like I have to give it – oh, you know what? Well, it's the Americans is what it is. It's the Americans. Jennings, comma, Elizabeth. Next week I'll be talking with friends of the show, uh, Allison Shoemaker, and new friend of the show, Alex McClevey from the AV Club. We're going to we're gonna deep dive with the Americans, knock on wooden things that – 
no scheduling issues arise. So more on the Americans next week. But um, yeah, it's it was it was really good. Like it has been all season, and it, it like it's a I can't believe that they only have one episode left. Like it doesn't feel like a penultimate episode. You know, like like Breaking Bad had their big epi- like the oh, as Mandius, and then it was like several episodes of a dating mom, but like the the penultimate episode felt like a penultimate episode, and the last episode felt like a last episode. You know, there's just so like I still have no idea, Noel. I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, in the last episode, so many people could die or no one could die. I don't know. There's like, oh, it's really good. Okay. So that's what won my week in TV. Love to the other shows, but you didn't have a shot. Um, now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer and come back with our discussion, our deep dive on season one of The Terror. That is how you already see it. In need of saving. I do. Our men have been out there in unimaginable temperatures. No one can convince me that optimism or confidence is warm enough. As a trusted friend once put it, this place wants us dead. What could have done then? There must be a bear. A bear did that. Large, 20 inches across. I do not believe it is an animal we battle. Not a man, not a bear, and what? Whether it was our grief or fatigue, I cannot say, but some of us became convinced that it continued to track us. Here, back to the ship. It's the ice, Georgie. It's only the ice. Back with the Televerse. This is Kate Colson, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And what you just heard was a trailer for AMC's The Terror, The Terror Season One, which we'll talk about in a little bit. They are there are plans for The Terror Season Two, despite the finale that we saw this week. Um, but this has been, you know, a highlight of the year. So we thought we would spotlight the season. Uh, we haven't really been talking about it that much on the show because we knew we were going to do this segment. So Noel, um, I cheated. And looked ahead at the uh, the the synopsis of the book right when the start of the series, you know, like when when I started watching the first few episodes, that really helped my viewing because I'm a scaredy cat, um, so I could prepare. Uh, how did how did this finale work for you? Uh, what how did the end of the season work for you? And were you like, did you also know what was coming, or were you surprised? Yeah, no, the finale worked really really well for me. Um, it's such a good encapsulation of so much of what this shows about and the it continued the show's very deliberate approach and without and still being really and and was still very scary and i really appreciated that that across the 10 episodes they were man they managed to keep that tension on a number of different levels 
running for as long as they did and as effectively as they did. Um, I did not know. I, I sort of knew what was coming in that. I knew that Crozier survived, um, but I didn't know in like what capacity he did survive. Um, and I didn't know until uh, basically yesterday when I started reading some uh, a few interviews that they uh, departed from the ending of the book. Um, and that departure sounds like a very good idea that they made um, without having read the book, of course. Interesting, because I think I like the ending of the book better, but I haven't read the book either, so yeah. maybe we could talk about that a little bit. But but sorry, please continue. I didn't. I shouldn't have interrupted you. No, no, no. I was about to ask how you felt the finale worked. Um, I think it was really effective, and uh, the it, it, like you said, it really it was very well suited to everything else we got in the show. It this is a show that had its perspective and it like a story it wanted to tell, obviously about. About the Franklin expedition, but but about human nature and about uh, humanity of like a very particular kind of humanity we should specify um, in extremes and in uh, push to the edge of survival and what does that mean and what does that do and what does that bring out in people and I think that it was a very fitting finale for that uh, the, there was tension there was uh, really terrific performances as there have been all season but there was like a good balance of of those different elements we got so like we got the horrific the achingly human um all wrapped up in this hour and so i you know i think they did a really good job i like for me on a story level some of the 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 things about the original book ending are more interesting like the fate of hickey in the book is more interesting to me than what we get here but um you know if i if i hadn't read how the book ends i wouldn't have any issues with this ending if that makes sense sure 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 no that does make sense um but yeah no the idea that the and spoiler alert for a book that apparently is very very good um, but the idea that the tunbach won't even eat him because he's so befouled because he's because of what he is, um, I think is a much more and so he's instead left to freeze to death um, in the in the in the, the Arctic is a more interesting ending than figuring out you know the trick as it were and then not, that not working and then being what kills the Tunbuck. I think is more interesting. What, for, like for me, it was a little like on the nose of the two monsters. The one monster dies eating the other monster, the human monster. Um, but uh, it was a little on the nose for me. But I still think it it worked thematically. I obviously you didn't have the baggage of like knowing theoretically what the ending was going to be that I had. Uh, so what what did that strike you as on the nose, or I'm I just being difficult here? <laughs> No, I don't think you're. I don't think you're being difficult here. Tell me, how does he? How does he die in the book then? Does uh, meaning uh, the Tunbak? How does Tunbak die in the book then? The Tunbak doesn't die. Oh, the Tunbak doesn't die. Okay. The Tunbak doesn't die, and I th- I believe Crozier cuts off his um, tongue and becomes the next shaman with Lady Silence. I don't. I feel like that. What the show is setting up, I think. Like works really well with the the climax of that works really well um, with him choking um, and dying basically on this on all these corrupted British colonial souls 
um, mm-hmm. that uh, th- that he's been stabbed by forks, shot with cannons, um, hit with like firecracker rockets, uh, but then ends up like choking on like the poison that oh, blessed Doctor Good Sir, uh, Mister Good Sir, we should say, Mister Good um, Sir, yes, yeah, um, has managed to infect the remains of Hickey's camp. And I, I, I like that because it's this idea that th- this, the idea of progress, which is what this, which is what a lot of this show is ostensibly about is like this idea of finding the Northwest passage so we can have easier trade and et cetera, et cetera, of, pro- of progress. We have the best technology on these two ships. We have sort of maybe the best captains, but not really. <laughs> um, all this sort of stuff, but that you can't really you can't really do anything to like stop that progress, and the result is is that it kills something that helps other people that is there to help people that is there that is that is something really innate to that land, and that it just it gets killed because of these very arrogant people on a whole societal level that come with them. And I think that's just really fitting since so much of the show is very much about the ramifications of hubris and arrogance and thinking that you can get away with things without worrying about changing things for other people. Okay. Yeah. I see that. I think, and I hadn't thought of it that way as a, as the death of the Tunbach being a negative thing because of the way it's, we're so strongly in Crozier's point of view and, and rooting for him at that point that it feels like like a, like a relief or a victory and then later when we get the interactions with the native people that he that he ends up you know joining and becoming a community member with um then there's more ambiguity there but i hadn't thought about it in that context and i think that really that really helps my read of it so thank you you're welcome. No, it was just, it's something that strikes me, and I think it's something that the show reinforces just through Lady Silence's um, or um, Selena's um, hunt and, like, desire to make sure that the turnback is okay since she's partially responsible for it as, like, a shaman in training or, like, the full-fledged shaman. I think the shaman in training. And that because she's unable to care for it, and because of the comment that we get that because of what these men are here for and because of what they're doing, the tone back is being disrupted and it is they're they're not being able to hunt anything. So there's I think that the show really reinforces that um, really consistently that this progress that is ostensibly good for these this seafaring colonial power is really hurting these uh, indigenous folks and they apart from a couple of people, don't really seem to care all that much. Uh, we'll talk more about the rest of this this finale in the season, um, but to jump ahead a little bit, do you think that is a major theme for if they do a season two? Because um, the idea of this is an anthology series is, you know, obviously the, the approach that they're going to take, which is a good call, <laughs> do more short stories like this, I think is a good way to take it. But do you think they're going to adhere to that or just really go with something scary <laughs> for their theme? I mean, I would be much more interested if they keep the colonial aspect or like or some societal critique on that level, you know, in that same way, even in a different context, I think would be much more interesting through line than just is scary. 
No, absolutely. They shouldn't just go for a straight-up horror film, or horror series, I should say. And I think that's one of the perks and reasons why the terror works so well, apart from the fact that the terror in and of itself is a multi-layered aspect of this series, but that it's a show that spent basically, (laughs) really, its first half building all a lot of character work and avoiding jump scares. And as we sort of discussed, like really building up an atmosphere and by allowing us to get to know these people by uh, building up that atmosphere, then when things begin to unravel through various means, including um, the fel- their own arrogance, etc., all that sort of stuff, the collapse of that is much more powerful and much scarier than it would be if there was just a giant weird monster hunting them the entire time. Um, Or if they turned out to be the monsters the whole time. I mean, it's both and, but the fact that the show is deft enough to layer all of those things in ways that I'm texting my friends, Jesus a lot while I'm watching this, um, I think speaks to, and it's not even stuff that is dealing with the tomb back. It's stuff that that these men are doing to one another that I'm texting about because that's what's really scary. That's what's legitimately frightening, and it's frightening in a way that isn't driven by zombies or is driven by a drawn out sense of narrative which i'm talking i'm I'm sub talking about the walking dead here (laughs) but (laughs) i think that this show does achieves that sense of horror on multiple levels really really well so it really does kind of live up to its name um so i would if they can find other sorts of historical incidences i think is really helpful for them to draw on with this kind of a thing i think that would be really good Um, I think going a full fictitious sort of route, um, would maybe hamper them. But how do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, one thing I definitely need for next season is ladies. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. they need to find a setting where there can be, you know, not just one female character in most of the story. Um, which obviously the, the, where this is set and who is on the expedition, that's, you know, it's a fascinating and and terrifying and horrifying true historical expedition like there's a reason that it's a bunch of dudes like it makes sense don't get me wrong but when they're choosing with what they're gonna do or what they're gonna explore for the next season i really hope we get some you know a like a re an understanding of this and a response to it that is more so that we have more gender um diversity and, and balance in the next season uh but yeah if they I, you know Having that historical context, you know, I think is much more interesting and having it at least to some extent based in fact and then with a twist, if you want, right, is uh, I think is a good way to go. I think it's much more interesting than just writing from a whole cloth. And that added a, you know, that added a level of 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 tension to this season knowing that this stuff actually happened and knowing that they found the remains and knowing that they they did find a a corpse that had like jewelry all over the face you know like they showed and that's from an actual um i think it was an inuit recounting of coming across some of the people who had been in the expedition like those kind of details and knowing that they were based on actual historical 
precedents and like things that uh, accounts and and things that were found with the the bodies when they did find the different camps and stuff like that when historians found the camps and archaeologists found the camps uh made it that next level chilling because you couldn't just disconnect from it in the way you can so easily choose to do from a fictional narrative the trouble is going to be finding something that can match this but isn't also set into similar as circumstance you know, like you can't, you're not going to do the Donner's, you know, Donner party. They're like the extremes, like extremes of nature contributing, I think works really well for tension and for a uh, very organic escalation. There's only so many ty- types of extremes that you can do and that work well on TV. The Arctic works great <laughs> for, for horror on TV and in movies, which is why, you know, so many genre shows do their episode of the thing. Um, and we had Fortitude and we had the terror. Like, it's really effective. But so they have to find another kind of extreme if they're going to do that, if they're going to keep in the same vein. And so then that limits your historical mysteries or tragedy pool. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, like the like the Donner Party comes to mind, but then I mean, you're going back to the cannibalism. Well, um, yeah, exactly. And there's so, only so many ways that you can commit horrific crimes against humanity and the nature of the soul, right? Right. And they did a lot of them this season. They burned through a lot of that. <laughs> oh man, I feel like you kind of have like Gallows Hill. We kind of got to you know laugh at the aspects of this which is from the uh perspective of the writer trying to come up with horrific things that haven't already been tackled in this first season um yeah uh do you have any other thoughts on that or shall we circle back around to talking about some of the other elements of the season yeah no let's talk about uh some of the other elements of the season so what in particular sort of like stood out for you especially in like the second half um, since we sort of tapered off just a little bit um, when we were talking about the show. Um, well, first of all, I love how much the show loves Jared Harris and how badass he is in the whole second half. I don't think it necessarily fits with everything we see in the first half. He is, like, way too easily sober. You know, like, there's like he gets over that um, withdrawal real quick. You know, and just in time. But um, so I don't really buy the portrayal, um, you know, given everything that came before. But if you're going to pivot the character a bit unbelievably so he can be your hero, they nailed it for that. And again, like, I feel like everybody knows Jared Harris is amazing. But then I, in some of the coverage around this or the discussion online and, you know, on social media and stuff, I am reminded, oh, no, some people are just discovering Jared Harris. So, like, that makes me very, very happy. I'm very excited that more people know how awesome Jared Harris is after this. Yeah, and I think he does a surprising... He doesn't do a surprisingly good job of holding it together. But I think, like what you were saying, the way that the show positions him, um, that Crozier becomes this really unlikely hero and that he's incredibly... He's very respectful, generally, of his place um, um, within the ship's hierarchy and is somewhat resistant to do... uh, like doesn't want to like stage a mutiny against um what's his name Heinz's uh character um who was that oh Franklin John Franklin um yeah Sir John yeah Sir John oh man Heinz so good um <laughs> so this idea that the steady um sort of 
lapse that he experiences like like you said i do think that he gets over the um over the alcoholism relatively quickly but i feel like if anything's going to get help you get over that it's a a dante-esque festival that gets set in fire um, you know by your ship's doctor. and then your body I, never has any physiological you know withdrawal symptoms at all because that's how that works i mean like in the moment totally but i'm just saying long term mm. yeah no long term but also it's just like they play so fast and loose with time on this show which is like probably the largest critique that i can offer is that a lot of the time skip implications are a little fuzzy sometimes that it becomes difficult to sort of keep track of where we are chronologically not chronologically but where how far we've progressed within sometimes between scenes it feels like um without like a quick mention from someone but i think that the overall arc of crozier again mirrors a lot of what the show is about and that this is someone who's trying to be as respectful as possible to a number of different things while still ultimately trying to achieve this goal um and this idea of again progress that i I, he the way he fits within this puzzle and the his decision to basically extra extract himself from that ideology and from that perspective um i think is really interesting and that the series basically ends with him waiting for something else. Um, I think is, again, really interesting that that's the choice that they make for Crozier, that that is how they see Crozier as someone who was almost constantly waiting for the right time to act and then only occasionally really taking action in certain certain points uh, when it was, like, absolutely necessary. So he's... It's a really fascinating, fascinatingly written character, and I think Harris does a really good job of capturing both that kind of sense of badassery, but while still making that kind of um, that patient, um, thoughtful sort of fellow be a parent. And I think that's a really delicate thing to. That's a really delicate needle thread, and I think Harris, because of how skilled he is, really achieves that. Yeah. Well, and to go into he like he just fully assumes the leading man hero mantle and like the quiet dignity thing, you know, and 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 it's it's really interesting to watch the performance over the course of the season because he he's shifting through these different sort of stock characters depending on what the narrative needs from him at that point and but he makes every shift really feel organic and you buy it. And like, because your attention might be on other characters at different points, you might not notice it happening. Um, but, but when he does, when he's the, you know, the clear protagonist hero person you're rooting for at the end, um, like they, they, cause they want, they want the ending to be satisfying so that if there's one person who gets out it's not too good for this world, good sir, which we'll get back to him. It's Crozier. And like that feels right. And uh, so it's really interesting to watch that. And and it's also just validating and fun to watch as a fan of, of this actor's work for so long because he doesn't get those characters very often. He does not. No, it's true. And so it's just it's just fun to see him get to play this um, in a similar vein. Are you now um, do you see what what I'm what I mean about uh, Menzies? Are you on the the Tobias Menzies train? I, as I recall, you were familiar, but like obviously you don't watch Outlander, so you weren't like Kate level of 
you know, standing for Menzies before this. Right. No, I wasn't. Um, but no, he's really great as Fitzjames. And that, that was actually something I was going to mention in relation to Crozier is um, that like long sequence in which Crozier and Fitzjames are just talking as they're pulling the boats um, or like trudging through after they've left the um, ships. And they're just sort of talking to one another for like a solid like five, six minutes. And that's like the opening of the episode. And it illustrates really well how far both of these characters have come as a result of everything that's happened. But it's also like even in, in a testament to what Harris and Menzies are both doing with these characters is like their energies with one another are completely different. And it's just really great. And Menzies uh, really does a great job of, again, transitioning Fitzjames from this holier-than-thou know-it-all who thinks he has all the answers that he knows what needs to be done to this guy who really comes to respect Crozier's more deliberate, less less uh, Her Majesty's royal service sort of approach to queen and country kind of thing. And I, I just, it's very good. And it's, again, it's really subtle, but... Menzies does a really great job, especially after, again, after that disastrous carnival that he <laughs> decides to throw, um, really comes around to this idea that they are thoroughly screwed and that they should have been listening to Crozier all along. So he now begins to defer to Crozier, plus his body's starting to break down. And he's just like, wounds are opening that should not be opening anymore because they happened eight years ago. I am dying. This is very uncomfortable. I need to stay in this boat. <laughs> um, but it's... That- <laughs> Boat scene, by the way, was the last thing they shot. Was it? The very last day. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, So, yeah, it's just, it's very, very good. And Menzies is just phenomenal in it from, like, the word go. And so I, I, yeah, no, I'm very, it's almost enough to get to me to watch The Crown season three. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, no, I'm going to watch The Crown now. I've watched season and a half of The Crown now. I've caught up with... um, you know, and, I, and it was because I was out of things to watch air quotes for like a second, but it was also because I think I'm getting ready for, for, for season Coleman and, and Menzies in season three of the crown. Um, other fabulous performances that we need to talk about or just moments. Um, they, I mean, the whole ensemble cast is stacked. They're all really, really good. Um, but in this finale, the thing that, and you talked about a little bit with the, the Fitzjames and Crozier conversations. The the time that they give these just like just just two people talking, it's not the priority most of the time in genre shows and in horror shows. And that's what has elevated um, this or really made this show stand out is because they take the time with these character things. First of all, you need to build tension anyway. You can't have it be all action all the time um, and have it, you know, really sustain that pace because these characters would be dead <laughs> if that were to happen. But also it it gets you so invested in these characters and in their circumstances because we all know they're like spoilers for history. They're all going to die. Like we know that already. So you you have to kind of convince yourself to forget it and reinvest in what's going on. Um, and taking the time for, for these just long, slow conversations, sitting in a tent like we do in the finale, where they're planning what they're going to do should the rescue come, when they th- which they think they convince themselves is coming, um, is, you know, is so effective. But also so effective is the crawl over the table 
that like is the most striking part of this whole finale for me. It's not Toonbuck. It's not like the the climax for of action. It's the care. It's one of the and I don't even know who it is. One of the characters that's been left behind because he's sick, dragging himself to fu- with so he does after the people who have left and hallucinating Crozier and a feast, and it's just desperate and visceral and so well done. And it's really well done because I think that the fact that they really restrain themselves from doing this more often, this sort of more yeah. dreamlike or even more experimental um, type of approach to things makes a big difference in the kind of impact that it has. I mean, that sequence is also in the episode where uh, it's Crozier, right, who sort of imagines like this flower. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, that, again, this is the kind of stuff that the show... Could have, especially after they started, like, trekking through um, the wilderness, um, could have really started leaning heavily on as people began to unravel. And in waiting for it at this one, at basically everyone's breaking points, I think is, it shows a remarkable amount of restraint, but it also shows that they really wanted to make sure that we understood what they were all going through on a more realistic air quotes realism sort of level not realistic a realism sort of level before they introduce that kind of a fantastical element and so when they do that it really provides a pin in what all the realism has already established and that's just that's just a remarkable like i said it's a remarkable degree of restraint and that's why it works as well as it does because they just that moment just like feels so raw um rawer i think you're right rawer than a lot of the other things that happen in that finale because of just how different it is from everything that they've done Mm-hmm. Well, and the performance of the actor whose name I unfortunately right. do not that, remember. Or that is that is that is one of the things after they leave <laughs> the ships is I'm just like I have lost all of your names because all of you have beards now, and I am in <laughs> it's season the Game of one, Thrones problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm in season one Game of Thrones problem when I'm confusing three of the Stark boys and Greyjoy because they all look the f-ing same. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you know who doesn't look the same because he's too good for this world is good, sir. His name is good, sir. Right. Like at a certain point, it shouldn't it should stop working, but it never does because of the writing and because of the performance and the direction as well. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about good, sir, and the very different approach to tainted meat, which is, of course, a Walking Dead thing. People, Walking Dead fans will remember. Um, what did you have a favorite good sir moment? Did you appreciate him as like the other, like the only good person? Like Crozier's our hero, but he's like he's done stuff that yeah. you know, like the only actual good person is good sir, and, and somehow it doesn't feel too on the nose. Well, that's sort of the thing. Like, I mean, we're talking about like things being on the nose, things being allegorical, or things being sort of overly, or things being too symbolic, or. Uh, the the show's ability to blend certain sort of um, traditions together, but the fact that he's named Good Sir Good Sir feels like such a throwback to um, like 
16th and 17th and 18th century literature that I don't care. Um, I mean, this is like, I mean, it's a legitimate actual person and everything, but I love the idea that they just went, well, his name's good, sir. So we're just going to run with that. And that decision, I think, just works really well because he legitimately cares about everything. He apologizes to the monkey (laughs) Um, that he experiments on to test the quality of the canned meat. And I just, I love that. And um, I love how sort of on, I, I I really like how on the nose it is. I can't get over it, kind of. And he's just so... He's so pure and good, and he's, like you said, he's too precious for this world. Um, So his, like, final sort of sacrifice that he does by poisoning himself and then um, slitting his wrists so that he can just, like, die quicker. And um, I just... It's it's really it's really it's really beautiful, and then they juxtapose that sacrifice with the grotesqueness of his carved up body at the end after Hickey and the what remains of his camp have already carved up like, and the way that they CGI represent that is really it's so gory, um, and but I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Like it was, it really reminded me a lot of like what Hannibal did really well. And so to watch that kind of watch my precious, precious Harry, good sir, um, see him like that. I was just like, no, you've broken me, show you've broken me. I can't wait for all of these guys to start vomiting up blood. And then they started vomiting up blood. And I was just like, he got the last laugh. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it also feels honest in a way that, you know, like other and other representations of stuff like this tend to either like in literature in the you know i haven't read many but the few i have or in film i haven't seen many but the few that i have tend to like kind of shy away from it like somebody goes behind a tarp and then comes out with steak you know what i mean um and it was so appropriate for where this group was at you know like this isn't the first person they've eaten you know that they have they have Mr. Goodsir butcher and, you know, like present as very tidy, clean pieces of just, it looks like seal meat. It looks like beef. It looks like, you know, this is right out, out in the open, no shying away from it. And it's grotesque and it's horrifying. But I, like I said, to me, it's also very honest. Yeah, it is. And again, I think it goes back to that show, the show not wanting to shy away from the state that these men are in, even in this sort of heightened situation. Um, Even sort of like the quiet destitution of Hickey's dinner table and how subdued these his camp is is just it's how silent re- it is there's yeah, no, there's no music yeah no it's it's gorgeous even like the kind of the austerity of their plates and how they're eating having to eat with their hands and just how they're sort of all seemingly in prayer almost and like their silence and their but the, the there's a sense of both horror in that, but also that sense of reverence for what's been done, even if it's, and judgment as well. It's just, it's, it's really, really good. 
With the one guy who's always off to the side because he doesn't get to eat with the other men. Because <laughs> I assume, like, and, like maintaining that even at that point, you know what I mean? Such a statement on who these people are and how ingrained that social structure is, even at this point. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about our villain. Any thoughts on Hickey besides, again, it's a terrific performance? Oh, our villain, our antagonist. He's got some good points. No. No. <laughs> No, he, he has doesn't. no good points. <laughs> oh, I mean, he does have like limited good points in that he does provide a critique of a system, but he, the, he, as he's critiquing that system, it's still driven very much by, well, the system isn't bad. It's bad because it's not paying attention to me. It's not giving me my fair shake. And it's not driven from a sense of, well, we can do better by everyone's sort of fair shake. It's me specifically. I am I am put upon. I am prosecuted. I also killed a man to get onto this ship. So, you know what? Meh. Type of thing. Um, I really did sort of appreciate that. And I feel like that wasn't something that we knew prior to him revealing that. Um, but it also feels like so long ago since this show started. Um, no, it's... He's... He's really good, and I like the consistency of how he's always sort of looking for an angle to play and trying to find one. And that he manages to find one that leads him to nothing, um, I think is really, again, speaks to a lot of what this show is concerned about in that this system of thinking that you can do better by someone else or better by yourself if you just strike out on your own um, is really compelling because everything kind of falls apart for them when their system that doesn't serve them well overall starts to collapse. Um, even if it does help to keep a lot of people in line and helps them to move forward. But he's he wants to seemingly blow it all up, but only for his own benefit. And then when he's developing this weird sort of Messiah-esque complex or that he's discovered a truth of something, um, I think it veers a little off course for him and that character. And it's one of those, it's one of the few instances in the show where I sort of go, I really needed more time with this in terms of this sort of weird turn that happens with, not a weird turn, just in a, development of where he ends up by the end is sort of a little of i didn't quite grasp where he made this larger shift and i would have liked a little more development on that how did you feel about that then um yeah well he he just like he and i think it traces back to when he frames the 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 native people Mm -hmm. and kills everyone that's when he and that's when he pivots uh, and just goes evil, I think is the interpretation of the show. Um, and, but, but it is a dramatic turn to take. And you realize at a certain point that, oh, he is not trying to save them. He decided they were all going to die a long time ago. Just, he was going to be in charge and having control, <laughs> you know, while they, and since they were going to die anyway, kind of a thing, um, which is, it's interesting to think about, you know, how he gets to that space and, and, and everything. Uh, I was a little concerned having read ahead uh, in the synopsis. I was a little concerned about having the only two queer characters represented in the show be the, 
evil, like most evil of evils and you know, like his sidekick. Um, but I think that there was, I think the show did a pretty good job of distancing that aspect of the character from his later actions. So I think that was, you know, I could see how people would have a problem with it. Um, with, with the character being, you know, again, one of the only the two queer characters in the show is the one who's the evil malignant threat to all of the good kind men, you know, straight men, uh, theoretically in the in the crew. But because that is an element that's added, I feel like almost like that's incorporated early on to get us to be on Team Hickey because he's being persecuted at the beginning of the story. But then, and which then later pivots. Um, so it almost feels like a bit of a feint. But I, so I could see how people would have a problem with that. Um, and let us know if you do. I think for me right now, um, I, they, they did a pretty good job of having that be part of who his identity, part of who he is, but completely separate from the path he, he goes down and the choices he makes that makes him our big bad for the, for the, the, story i guess what did you have any thoughts on that a lot of what he does feels more opportunistic driven by that than necessarily anything else and i think that that plays a part in some of it as well um and again there's a degree of honesty in that um from the show's part but i i do think that the show like you said does sort of set us up in that sort of especially with like the whipping sequence um, is supposed to like really set us very firmly, at least to make us feel sympathetic towards Hickey and what's going on, even if we're sort of seeing him in this vague um, anti-hero sort of vibe. And then the show, like over the course of time, goes, no, by the way. <laughs> but I think that the key is that they don't really tie those two elements together as a motivation for either of these things happening here. And I think that that's significant because um, he's not he's not defined by that he's not defined by his orient, sexual like orientation, and he's much more defined by the fact that he's looking for a way to win. And I think that's a more compelling sort of narrative to construct. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I'd, again, like I said, I'd like to hear from some of our audience listeners and um, the audience for the show. If there are any queer listeners um, who watch the show, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on it because it's certainly something I'm going to be thinking about for a while. Um, any other characters or moments or scenes that you'd like to shout out? Uh, I mean, obviously, the hair and costuming and lighting and editing and stuff like the whole production was spectacular. It was gorgeous. Well, I think that one thing um, is that's worth mentioning, and I'll point um, folks to a larger discussion of it that um, Smithsonian Magazine covered, was the generally good work that the show and effort that the show made to represent the um, uh, Netzalik, um mythology and also the Netzalik people. Um, and I apologize if I mispronounced that. I almost certainly did. Um, that they were, they consulted with a number of groups about that. Um, they employed um, Inuit actors to cover, um, not cover, to play those parts. Um, and so they, they made a really conscious effort to do a great deal of research about that. Um, but at the same time, they didn't 
hire like an outside consultant or anything instead relying on the um on the actors to provide that kind of a feedback with what they were doing which isn't ideal in that kind of a situation because they're not necessarily getting paid as consultants in addition to being paid as actors they're just being paid as actors and then providing feedback on something um so that's not great but it's it's really i like the fact that the show makes an effort to have that be present. They did a great deal of research regarding the costuming and the tents and how all of this is supposed to look. Um, so there's, again, there's a really good Smithsonian Magazine article um, that you can find um, about this that goes into more detail. But it was, it, it the show's approach is generally, I think, pretty solid in that regard. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, the only other character that we didn't discuss whom I adored uh, was Thomas Blanky, um, who's played by Ian Hart. Mm-hmm. And Blanky's just the best. Um, like, <laughs> right up there with Good Sir, he's just the best. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I really appreciated his end. Um, and I appreciated also just the degree of familiarity and friendship that they provided between him and Crozier that I, um, was just really important for the show. Um, especially at the end when he's just like joking with Crozier right before he's about to like walk off and commit suicide basically. Um, and, but then ends up discovering the Northwest Passage. Um, that I just, I, I really like Blanky a lot. Um, so he was a much needed sort of um, presence on the show. Uh, but what about you? Anything else in particular stand out to you um, over the course of these 10 episodes? I mean, what a way to go out with all the forks. So good. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know what? I second your comment about the representation for uh, the, like the actor who plays Silna is terrific. And, and just the, the amount of care shown, which is, uh, I agree, you know, the actor's job is not to be your consultant on these topics because the actor can't necessarily tell you when you're doing things wrong without worrying that they're going to get fired. So that's why you need to have that be a separate job. It's not their response. Their, their responsibility is to play the character to the best of their ability and to collaborate with everyone in that role. It's not to do your homework for you. So that is, you know, but I do think in general, like compared to some of the other, you know, shows that I've seen set in Arctic regions, they, you know, I felt like there was more of a, sense of awareness and respect for the native cultures they were representing and and so that's certainly a good thing to to point out the other thing i'll just point to is just the dread in which so often was in the sound design the creaks of the boats and in the the timing and the deliberate pacing of the editing um one of the the images that will most stick with me is the the guy underwater checking out the ship with the ice block and there's that the corpse underwater that you like it's early in the show you don't know if there's gonna be like spirits <laughs> in the water that are gonna you don't know what kind of monsters they're gonna have it totally could be it's just the the corpse of the other the soldier who had fallen in and frozen but like maybe it's not it was terrifying and that was down to the performance of of the sailor who was under the under the water but it was due to the 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 sound design the sound of like the 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 foley for for underwater and in a a, a underwater suit thing <laughs> and for just the the eerie 
like pacing to the editing as well as the cinematography. So it, it all really came together to make a really atmospheric and affecting and effective show. So I think we can safely say we're both uh, recommending the terror season one. People should go check it out if yeah. they're into this kind of thing. Yeah, you know, they absolutely should. Um, really sort of along with Killing Eve, it's probably the best new show of the year so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Well, on that note, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post to this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave us a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com, or like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. And then we're also up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews both there and at Stitcher. And, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much, Noel. Thank you, Kate. It was a pleasure to discuss the shows with you this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. (laughs) 